Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Nutrition Lifestyles Podcast. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And today we have a podcast, a podcast for you. So on episode one of season two titled White People Food, Is That Really a Thing? We interviewed one of our dietitian friends by the name of Lindsay, who lives in Harlem, New York. Mm-hmm. In that episode, Lindsay mentioned a few key points. She stated that she lives and works in Harlem and certain parts of Harlem are full of bodega type grocery stores. She also mentioned a term that Joanne and I have been stuck on, and that is gentrification. So she spoke about how gentrification is having an impact, positive and negative, mm-hmm. on low income communities worldwide. Right. So I live here in Atlanta and I've seen it in the different neighborhoods around town, um, particularly south of Atlanta, where gentrification is happening. And so if you guys didn't know what gentrification is, it's defined as the process of altering a neighborhood physically and structurally to conform to the middle class. So Lindsay stated that she has seen this happen near her area in West in East Harlem because they recently opened up, I believe she said a whole Foods store. And um, so yes, a whole foods is doing some good things for the community by giving back, but it may be pushing the lower class away and out of the community and its surroundings even further. Right. Exactly. So, you know, when we think of whole foods, Joanne, like what, what comes to your mind? Like what type of shoppers come to your mind? Rich people who have money. Cause you know, whole foods ain't cheap. <laughs> it, it sure isn't. But then also someone from New York contacted me about the episode with Lindsay. And I mean, it was a great episode But Mm -hmm. she also mentioned that there's grocery stores like Bravo. You ever heard of Bravo? Yeah, you know, there's Bravo in Florida. I don't think I've seen it here in Georgia. Mm -mm. Oh. Florida, definitely. Okay, so what type of groceries, what type of patrons rather visit Bravo? Because I mean, Bravo is, it's lit. Well, my mom frequents Bravo and my mom don't go anywhere expensive. So, and, and. The area in Orlando, the Bravo in Orlando that I've seen, people I've seen frequent there are usually Caribbeans, Hispanics. And not to say that these people don't have money, but these are the people that I see. And I feel like maybe because it has a lot of the um, the stuff that they're used to eating back home in the islands, like the different tubers and the different seasonings and whatnot that they may not find like whole foods. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I'm not even going to lie. Every time that I do go to um, Miami or if I go to Orlando, I'm always trying to find a Bravo because they do have that, that Caribbean variety, that Caribbean flair, but Mm -hmm. also because the prices The prices, yeah, exactly. It's more affordable. So I wanted to discuss the classes just a little bit because I consider myself a middle-class person that's always trying to find a deal. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I mean, I didn't even really think about the physical and structural impact of gentrification until Lindsay brought it up. So Mm -hmm. it has been circulated for some time that the middle class is disappearing. Really? Yeah. You've never heard of it? I don't think so. Girl, it's been circulating for a while. So, I mean, there may be some truth. There may be some error to this. But no matter how you look at it, the middle class is still very much influential. 
Case mm-hmm. in point, most presidential races, one's coming up pretty soon. Uh-huh. Uh, the president, the presidential nominee always focuses on the middle class, do they not? So the middle class is defined as someone who makes between 67% to 2000% of like the median year salary. Now I know this may not, these numbers may not mean anything for you, but just to give you like some dollar figures, that's between 59,000 to 63,000 a year, depending on what state you live in. And the lower class, their income is between $18,000 to $26,000 a year. So you can see that that is a stark difference. Very much so. So the elephant in the room is how does gentrification work? That's the question that most would have. How are low-income neighborhoods turned into middle-class and even the upper-middle-class neighborhoods? So there's like a few steps for that to happen. It does doesn't just happen from one to two steps. It's um, a process. So some of the research that we did, we found um, according to, and I may not be saying this right, because I know there's a SUNY, maybe this is a CUNY. Mm -hmm. So the CUNY Urban Food Policy Institute says that gentrification can happen abruptly or gradually. The gradual trajectory of gentrification follows this pattern um, that I'm about to explain. So capital flows into low-income neighborhoods. Residents who make money move in or more money move in. Then real estate values go up, which makes it unaffordable for those who have been there for years, who have been living in that neighborhood for years. Bodegas, they then get changed into upscale fully stocked grocery stores like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's or whatnot. And then low income residents are forced to leave because they can't afford this new way of life that gentrification has um, turned their neighborhoods into. I mean, isn't that is like one of the saddest things because I mean, like for instance, the bodegas change into fully stocked grocery stores like for me, like what, what happened to the farmer's markets that are serving, you know, the fresh fruit and vegetables and the healthier options? Why is it when capital starts flowing into neighborhoods that you see that the patrons are being quote unquote served more? Like, I I really don't understand that. And I don't either. You know, have you been into a bodega before? I have never. I have never been. I feel like I may have gone into one and I may be wrong that it's not a bodega. But in my mind, I'm thinking, are bodegas similar to corn, the corner store? I would imagine that's what it, it is, according to what Lindsay was, was explaining. Right. So if we think that bodegas are like the corner store, the corner store, it's not having lots of produce and whatnot that you would want to, um, you know, have access to if you were trying to live a certain lifestyle, a healthier lifestyle or whatnot. So it it would be great to have access to these things by adding these stores like Whole Foods, but it's the Whole Food prices that people can't afford and end up having to go other places and, you know, having to leave the whole neighborhood. It's like, I feel like people are being pushed out mm-hmm. of the way of life that they're used to. Exactly. Look look at Joanne, agent of change. <laughs> I mean, that is exactly true. So gentrification impacts these grocery stores, just like, you know, Joanne just mentioned, because the bodegas become extinct 
And as patrons who are making more money move into the neighborhood, there's like a silent understanding. It may be verbal. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> but there's this understanding that a full, fully fledged grocery store is required and the prices of some quote unquote healthy items or healthy food products cost more than what individuals who live in a socioeconomic status can afford. And I mean, that mm-hmm. that is sad. Right. So, I mean, if you guys can give us what bodegas, you guys have been to bodegas and can tell us a little bit more about them, jump on over to our Facebook page and let us know a little bit about bodegas. I'm curious to find out what um, people have access to inside of bodegas and if produce um, is available in those mm-hmm. stores. I would like to know that. Exactly. Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne, y'all. That was our commercial. Right. (laughs) But you know what, too, seeing that, you know, you just mentioned, you know, what do bodegas really look like? And I I still have in my mind, it's this corner store Uh from Ladarius's episode. And for you guys that haven't listened to it, it is season two, episode two. And what about black people food? He was saying that, you know, all this research is Mm -hmm. saying, you know, black people are more genetically prone to hypertension and diabetes Mm -hmm. and obesity Mm -hmm. and all these things. And... You know, he he did bring out some very, very excellent points. And I'm here right. wondering to myself if this style of living contributes to all of these chronic and metabolic diseases because of the access to food or the inaccess rather. So, you know, gentrification is not all bad. And I don't want you guys to think that that's what Kim and I are trying to tell you guys. As dietitians, we're always trying to find ways and we're fighting for ways, you know, for different food deserts and, you know, neighborhoods to get full-fledged grocery stores so people can get access to um, better foods or more nutrient-dense foods. So one way, you know, so gentrification does help in that sense that it does add access to uh, nutrient and foods. But the one thing I, I, I know for sure as what the business minded person would understand also is that these whole foods and other stores, they're not going to add their, their stores to areas where they feel like they're not going to make any money. So they're not, they're not going to add it to a location that's not being gentrified. I don't believe that they would. Hmm, I agree. Right. So one way that we can try to meet, I guess, in the middle and make some changes is through the policymakers. So they're the ones which cause grocery stores to pop up in different low socioeconomic communities, but they can also attract people who make more money to frequent these neighborhoods so that I guess even if they're not living in that neighborhood, they can still shop in the different stores that are in that neighborhood. And we keep saying Whole Foods because I guess that's the one that we think of when right, we think of right. expensive grocery yeah, stores. Yeah, the, the, the middle class grocery store. Right, right. But I'm pretty sure there's there's others out there. So we're not like bashing Whole Foods because I, I sh- I'll be shopping there. <laughs> I'm not um, going to lie, me too. <laughs> so when they make changes in the stores, I should say, in the community, the flow of money may change as well. So um, the problem that we think with gentrification is when residents are forced to leave the communities. And, you know, these are communities that they've known for like, you know, their whole lives. And some people it's been generational, like 
you know, my parents grew up here, my grandparents grew up here, or even in that same house that they live in. Mm -hmm. And for them to be pushed out, that's the problem to me. Right. Do you remember you sent me something on Instagram? It was um, Eddie Murphy. Uh (laughs) And he was talking about it was it was a skit. It was talking about gentrification and the issues with gentrification. Right. On Saturday Night Live. Yes. Uh Guys, we're going to actually have that posted on our um, our Facebook group so you guys can see. So even though it it takes like a it's like a satire of gentrification, but I mean, it, it brings out some really good points. It does bring right. out like the racial issues associated mm-hmm. with gentrification and other issues. But, you know, as Joanne said, as dietitians, I feel um, within the United States, these these should be issues that we're focusing on. We always talk about, you know, the importance of health and the importance of diet with decreasing um pill burden and improving the health of our patients and clients Mm -hmm. and gentrification is a huge thing and i know we we may have like these these nuances that prevent us from seeing that but as people that can impact policy and impact business i feel that gentrification should be everybody's business it should be because you know when you think about we think about all these recommendations that we make to people how they can better their lives, but are the tools out there for them to do that? Do mm. they have access to what need what is needed, what we're telling them? You're telling somebody to eat more nutrient-dense foods, but they don't have access to that. They don't have a car to even be able to drive outside of their neighborhood to get access if, you know, these stores are not within their neighborhoods. Exactly. That that is so true. And even episode three, y'all, these episodes are just tying in with each other. They are. Episode three, Ayana's episode, the one we did with our guest dietitian Ayana. She uh-huh. mentioned that if a person doesn't have access to uh nutrient dense foods, then you know they're not gonna care about healthy at every size. They're not gonna care about intuitive eating. They're not, not gonna care about um, the non-diet diet, they're just going to care about is my belly full. Right. And, you know, I've worked, I think I talked about this before in season one, working in a clinical setting, um, coming out of school, the facility that I worked at was um, predominantly low socioeconomic um, people, people with uh, low socioeconomic backgrounds, homeless folks, and coming to their bedside, speaking as a dietitian, these people, they don't want to hear how to eat healthy. These are people who barely had one meal a day before they came in here. So now that they're getting three meals a day and, you know, he, this is the South and at my facilities, we have like a really Southern day where people are getting fried chicken um, they're getting mac and cheese. They're getting collard greens. They're getting whatever it is. It varies, but it's a very Southern meal. And this person may have some kind of condition that you're trying to manage and you're trying to tell them, maybe get the baked option instead of the fried option. That's not going to pan out to somebody who has not seen fried chicken in a while exactly. or, a good, or a good home meal, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So with the outlay of the grocery stores, um, this is something that I wanted to discuss, something that I've actually observed. So in the South, if you guys are not familiar with our location, so there are two grocery stores which immediately pop to my mind. 
And one of them is Winn-Dixie and the other one is Publix. I'm not even sure if I should be saying the names, Joanne. I'm not even sure. <laughs> <laughs> but we're a small podcast, so I don't think that they're going to come for us. They're not. You know, here in Georgia, we don't have Winn-Dixie's. Really? Mm-mm, we got Publix, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what do you guys not have? Kroger's? I don't think I've ever seen a Winn-Dixie here. Uh-uh. You guys have Kroger's? Is that We have Kroger's. But then at the same time, Kroger's is a little is a little more upscale than when Dixie. It's a it's comparable to Publix to me. Yeah, it is. It honestly is. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna explain the difference between Publix and when Dixie just from what I've seen in the area where I live. Mm-hmm. So they are very similar yet starkly different stores. So the physical outlay of the store, the lighting, even the colors, even the food that they carry is very different. So in my opinion, Publix is a grocery store that serves the middle class because the prices are a bit higher. And, you know, as a vegan, I feel like I need to input that in every episode. (laughs) As a vegan, I can easily find the foods that I eat. And also they serve, quote unquote, air quotes now, healthier food options in, in you can, you can easily find some dairy free, soy free products mm-hmm. while Publix on the other hand, it's not as easy to find these he- quote unquote healthier food options. You mean Winn-Dixie? Also- yes. Thank you. Winn-Dixie. And then also, even if Winn-Dixie and Publix have the same, um, let's say quinoa, for instance, at Winn-Dixie, the price of quinoa is going to be a little higher because it's not an item that that store in my location is used to carrying. While Publix, on the other hand, they have all different varieties of quinoa. Right. So in the neighborhood surrounding these two grocery stores, I've noticed that there is also a stark difference. And hence, the demographics or the people that they serve or the people who frequent these stores is very different as well. Like... Across the train tracks different. Right. I I agree with that. But you know, the funny thing is when I think about when Dixie growing up in Florida, when we first came here um, in the late 80s, when we moved from Haiti into um, the United States, uh when Dixie was like the upscale, like my mom was like, I'm not going to shopping there. That place is too expensive. Mm -hmm. And my mom used to shop at mainly like the farmer's market type stores, Mm -hmm. save a lot type stores. She wasn't going to when Dixie because at that time, you know, um, late 80s, when Dixie was a pricier store. That is true. That is true. And you know what? I realized that as well because I remember growing up and my brother used to work at Winn-Dixie and <laughs> as, a, as a teenager. And I'm like, wow, like, look, look at all this stuff that they have there. Right. I think it's, I don't know what has happened to the, the brand, but I think it's comparable to what happened to Kmart. That stores are just, it's closing down. It's a business that is slowly dying because, I mean, as Whole Foods started popping up and as public started you know doing their thing i think like the competition really choked them out right because even here in atlanta certain parts you know you won't find a trader joe's you won't find a whole foods Mm. Um, no you won't you won't at all because i guess they feel like that area is not a money maker area for them Mm. that's interesting so 
all in all, I think one of the best ways to get the best of both worlds is to listen to the community. The community mm-hmm. has a lot of history that some people may want to preserve. Um, one thing that can be done is by investing in pre-existing organizations already established in the community to help them diversify their food choices and also carry more healthy subsidized food options. Like I know at one of the local churches that I attend here in my small community, they had, um, they kind of had like a like a healthy lecture lecture and like healthy cooking class thing going on every Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. And then they, um, it was like a local farm that grew organic produce. So they basically, the church basically gave like the local farm, like a lump sum of money and said, okay, after our healthy cooking classes or healthy lectures, then you come by with your food truck fully stocked with mm-hmm. fresh produce now and show the people of the community what healthy eating is. And I thought this was an excellent, excellent way of promoting nutrient-dense foods instead of calorically-dense foods. That is. I like that idea. You know, also like community gardens, which we've discussed before, farmer's markets, you know, that's always um, a great option. And, you know, trying to close the inequality gaps that we have by maybe supporting your local black owned companies to try to see if we can um, help them increase their revenue and try to support their communities so that these companies don't get pushed out. And I think this is where public uh, health dietitians, this is where they can come in and possibly help because they they understand you know the impacts of policy and zoning and grants more so than others would so this is where they can come into play and help um you know with their knowledge and supporting the community right exactly so guys we want to know i mean these are our thoughts on gentrification what are your thoughts how has it impacted you or even someone that you know We want you to let us know by hopping on over. I feel like this is like the third time we're saying this. So just (laughs) just go ahead and do it. Facebook, hop on over to our Facebook page and let us know. And then additionally, if you guys can um, go ahead and leave a review for us on whatever platform you are listening to and also give us five stars. I feel and I know Joanne feels the same way that these are issues that we shy away from in dietetics Mm -hmm. we either shy away from it because we're not comfortable speaking about it or because we do not have information on the topic and additionally like these are things that we don't we're not taught in schools in our general education so to me the only way to put dietitians in the news on the media is by speaking about topics that impact everyone and also Mm -hmm. touchy topics where we can make a difference So thank you for listening and recommend this episode to one of your friends. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Bye, guys.